Subscription services abound online for music as well as video and film. In recent years, various startups also have vied for a role as the Netflix for books. Of those who've made a mark, Oyster and Scribd, success has proven a double-edged sword. Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. In early summer, Scribd announced it would cut back on the number of titles available to readers, largely because the popularity of romance novels was draining resources faster than revenues could make up. And this week, Rival Oyster went even further. And joining me now, as he does every Friday for Beyond the Book, with the latest news from the book world, is Andrew Albanese, senior writer for Publishers Weekly. And welcome back, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. Well, Andrew, uh, big news this week in the subscription ebook service department. Provider Oyster has announced it's going to be shutting down, not tomorrow, but sometime in 2016. And, you know, that kind of news really brings out the critics of the subscription access model. And they're really asking the question whether this can work at all for publishing. What's going on? Yeah, that's right. Uh, this week, one of the major players in the fledgling U.S. subscription ebook market announced that they would be sunsetting their business sometime next year. Uh, and it was later learned in an intriguing twist that Google had actually stepped in in what's been called by some outlets a, a, an acquire, an aqua hire, shall we say. That, in other words, Google had uh, the rumors that they bought the company not to run it, but that they were assuming Oyster's liabilities and bringing on Oyster's talent. Uh, but Google has publicly said that it has not acquired Oyster. Uh, and that they had just stepped in to pick up some of Oyster's talent. This is pretty much uh, a hiring exercise for them. But for now, all we really know is that Oyster is going to call it a day sometime in the next year, and the subscribers can eventually get refunds. But until it's over, it's going to be business as usual for Oyster, probably sometime into 2016. All right. Well, now that that's as clear as mud, uh, we can even complicate things further because the announcement came as something of a surprise uh, at nearly the same time one of the big five publishers had just praised the model openly. Yeah, you know, it seems like we have something of a Sports Illustrated cover curse going here with the subscription market, because every time a publisher comes out and praises it, something bad seems to happen. And this week, as you know, just the day before PW broke the news about Oyster, Carolyn Reedy, uh, CEO of Simon & Schuster, had actually praised uh, subscription ebooks and the company's foray into subscription ebooks. Uh, she praised these services for their role in book discovery, but she did caution that it remained unclear to her whether the subscription business model is going to be sustainable. You know, a high percentage of these books are read and paid for, she noted, and that's a good thing. Uh, and the subscription model offers both revenue and discovery, so win-win. Uh, SNS makes only its backlist titles available to uh, subscription services, including Scribd, uh, and really emphasize that these services do not cannibalize print. And again, drive discovery. That word came up quite a bit in her talk, and it comes up quite a bit when we're talking about subscription. Uh, and the sustainability question is a good one because, you know, the news about Oyster this week comes after we learned in July that uh, a pioneering service called Entitle had closed. And also, you'll recall just two months ago, also in July, Scribd had to scale back its offerings in the romance category. Uh, and that was also the same week that Macmillan had expanded its offering in Scribd and also came out 
and very loudly praised script. So beware subscription services when a publisher comes out and praises you. It likely means something bad is about to happen. And, and I would add further, beware of pundits who have predicted the death of subscriptions. They've done that before, and they may be premature again when it comes to Oyster. So in Monday's issue, you're going to be looking at where all of this stands and perhaps even hinting at some direction ahead. Yeah, you know, in Monday's issue, we're going to have a look at the state of the subscription model and not just the, the big ones here in the U.S., but worldwide. And yeah, this, the situation can be really confusing right now. We spoke to many, many players, both publishers and agents, as well as uh, leaders of these nascent subscription businesses. And what we found uh, is a theme that you know I've voiced on this show, I think, a couple of times before. And that's, you know, don't mistake these early setbacks for outright failures, because what seems clear is that the model does work but needs tweaking. That tweaking is required because the model is actually succeeding with readers. As Mark Coker said at BEA this year, what subscription is facing now is sort of the Goldilocks principle in action. That is, can these companies find a model that's just right? One that works for publishers and gives them enough revenue and perhaps discovery and marketing to make it worthwhile, but also is sustainable for these services who have to get by on the uh, subscription revenue that they get from consumers. You know, with each qualified read, these services so far in the beginning in the U.S. are paying the full agency cut to the publishers and to the authors. Uh, and as it stands, readers are clearly reading more than they're, they're paying in. So how can these services change? How will they adjust? Will publishers take less revenue in exchange for, say, the data and the marketing, the discovery? Uh, who knows? Stay tuned. Well, I, I think you frame it right. It really has to be about more than just the revenue for publishers to make it work for them. And we will indeed stay tuned. And you mentioned Google's role earlier, the so-called acquire, the acquisition hiring of some of the staff at Oysters. Let's circle back to that. What do you think they're up to? It's a really good question. I think it's fascinating to think about where Google could run with this. You know, so so Google has not officially commented, uh, but I'd point out a few things. The first is that this may be an acquisition by Google, even though they resist calling it that, uh, and they, they're resisting calling it that for for many reasons. I'm sure they don't need the Oyster brand. They have a pretty good brand in and of itself. They have you know millions and millions of public domain books, books from their partner project. They have an ebook store. And they have the best search in the world. So you know, if we're talking about the value of search and discovery and access to digital content uh, in the future of reading, I really wonder what Google could do with a team like Oysters in-house. But that said, I should make clear that you know sources have told me in no uncertain terms that Oyster was failing, that Oyster was going out of business. So it's clear that, you know, whether Google stepped in or not, that there was not going to be an oyster for that much longer. Uh, and another thing I'd point out, though, is that all the critics who say that the model can't work, uh, and certainly oyster failure is going to give them more ammunition, that publishers and authors really need the model to work. Period. End of story. The product today is reading, much less than buying copies of books. We have to find a way to get people binge reading like they're binge viewing shows on Netflix. And you know, the fact is, I think new generations of consumers who are growing up with the ability to access content so seamlessly on their phones and tablets are going to demand this. They're not going to understand the concept of buying $10 copies of books. You know, that's just not going to get people reading the way I think we need them to in the future. And also, there's another company out there. Maybe you've heard of them. They're called Amazon. Uh, they, too, are very much committed to subscription access with their Kindle Unlimited program. Uh, you know, People say, oh, the publishers will never go along with Amazon's Kindle Unlimited, to which I say, be careful. 
because as, we, as we've seen time and time again, what happens when Amazon turns the screws? Um, most often, they get what they want. So interesting times ahead, and you can read more about our take on where the market stands and where it might be going in Monday's issue. All right. And if we're looking for answers, I suppose the place to search for them, the best place to search for them is every year in October at the Frankfurt Book Fair, Andrew. You and I will both be back there. Plenty of uh, opportunity to see what is on people's minds, including uh, subscriptions. Tell us about your own Frankfurt preview. Yeah, that's right. Monday is also our annual Frankfurt preview. And as our readers know, it probably uh, it features a, a briefcase that's filled with uh, titles and all kinds of various rights that are going to be on display at the fair. And it also offers a pretty good global overview of what's going on in other countries, uh, not just the English language publishers and what they're going to be bringing, but also a sense of uh, what's happening elsewhere. And I know you know well how much Frankfurt has actually embraced change over the years and really sort of brought the digital conversation to the fore. And this year is actually going to be a year of great change for Frankfurt, maybe the biggest year of change Frankfurt's had possibly ever. You know, the English Language Hall is moving from Hall 8 to Hall 6. Uh, it's going to be right squarely in the middle of the action now. And it's going to make for a more compact fair. Uh, as you know, the Frankfurt Book Fair is pretty large, pretty expansive. Uh, so I'll be interested to see how that works out. But basically, you know, every meeting is going to be five minutes away now. That's the goal of the Frankfurt people now, not to have agents walking uh, for 15 minutes to get to a meeting. Frankfurt is also replacing its pre-fair digital show, which had been called Contech, with a new show called The Markets. And this is the beginning of a trend sort of moving away from these digital-themed conferences. The Markets is going to focus more on specific regions around the globe and publishing opportunities that are available there. And I'll take this opportunity to uh, remind our listeners that uh, we will be publishing show dailies every day at the fair and that you can read them for free online on the PW website. And I'm sure I'll take the chance to remind you again before the fair actually begins. But I'm looking forward to Frankfurt and I'm looking forward to seeing you there too, Chris. Maybe we can grab a beer in Romer Square or something if we find the time. Uh, if we find the time is the thing to underscore and to uh, the urging of people to keep an eye on all of this on P uh, Publishers Weekly site, I'll tell people that coming up on Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, um, Copyright Clearance Center is presenting a webinar uh, with Tom Chalmers of IPR Licensing and Thomas Minkus of the Frankfurt Book Fair. We're going to be talking about the trade book fair of tomorrow and indeed uh, one of the things that Thomas will be telling us about in more detail including some maps and some some layouts is exactly about those changes uh, moving things uh, around at the uh, fairgrounds and kind of making things more compact so if anyone wants to join us for that they're more than welcome to drop me a line Chris K at copyright.com and I'll let you uh, uh, register I'll, I'll tell you how to register so with all of that and all those uh, plugs for our various programs Andrew Albanese thanks so much for joining us this week as you do every Friday. My pleasure, as always. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center, a global rights broker for the world's most sought-after materials, including millions of books and e-books, journals, newspapers, magazines, and blogs, as well as images, movies, and television shows. You can follow Beyond the Book on Twitter, find us on Facebook, and subscribe to the free podcast series on iTunes or at our website, beyondthebook.com. Our engineer and co-producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. My name is Christopher Keneally. For all of us at Copyright Clearance Center, thanks for listening to Beyond the Book. 